This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views. Ranked just this last week by Chartable as one of the top 200 most listened to podcasts in the world. Thank you so much for those of you across the world, the globe, in over 100 countries now who make Transit Unplugged your choice for news and views from the transit industry. Today is no exception. We've got great news coming to you from Washington, D.C. and from near Toronto, Canada for big funding coming your way for transit systems. Also, for our newsmaker interview, we interviewed Norma Noor. She's CEO of Express Rail Link in Malaysia. I had the opportunity to interview her last week, and she talks about uh, their high-speed rail service there, heading into the airport, and some of the great customer service components they have that rail systems across the world could take a listen to. Speaking of rail systems, I just returned from Florida for filming episodes for our Transit Unplugged TV show, which is heard exclusively on YouTube. And I was able to interview Patrick Goddard, who is president of Brightline Trains, America's only high-speed privately held rail service. They're running service from Miami up through West Palm Beach, where I met him at the train station, soon to be headed to Orlando and then Tampa, their plans are, and also they're planning on service from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. Patrick talks about some of the great things they've got going on in rail service as well. That's coming up on our March 23rd News and Views Transit Unplugged episode. And now into headline news for our industry. On Monday of this week, Vice President Kamala Harris and Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg and others announced big money for public transit in the United States. The White House is dedicating more than $1 billion toward reducing public bus emissions this year, a sum that the administration officials say will help the country meet the president's goal of reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by 2030. The bipartisan infrastructure law carved out $5.5 billion to expand the Department of Transportation's low and no emission transit vehicle program, 1.1 billion of which will be allocated for this year, 2022. The Transportation Department will also direct $2.2 billion in unused American Rescue Plan funding to help 35 transit entities in 18 states keep tens of thousands of employees on the payroll. The Environmental Protection Agency also will award $17 million in grants to fund zero-emission electric school buses. As mentioned, Vice President Kamala Harris announced the programs uh, at the White House, and she said our transportation sector has reached a turning point. We have the technologies to transition to a zero-emission fleet. Our administration, together, all of us, is working to make that possibility a reality. She said we can clean our air and protect the health of our children. We can connect all of our communities with affordable, accessible, and reliable public transportation. So big news then coming out of Washington on that. The um, give you a little bit more details. In addition to the money made available to purchase the low-no grants, uh, it's coming as the mask requirements and other COVID-19 restrictions are fading in much of the U.S. with the CDC recently coming out and said that over 90% of the country now doesn't really need to wear a mask. We're still waiting to hear from the administration as to whether or not they're going to extend the mask requirement on public transit and public transportation past March 18th. We'll bring you that news uh, when they make that announcement. In addition, some of the transit agencies that can get these funds have until May to apply for the Department of Transportation's grants, which will be awarded by fall. And about 5% of the money must also be used for workforce training 
to help transit workers prepare for the technological change. That's great news, I think, for the industry. And they're saying about 55% of transit riders nationwide have returned compared to pre-pandemic times. That's according to the most recent APTA, American Public Transportation Association numbers. And the biggest losses, of course, have been in commuter rail systems, serving white-collar suburbanites traveling to downtown workplaces. But President Biden, in his State of the Union speech, encouraged Americans to shed remote work and get back to the office. He said, quote, it's time for America to get back to work and fill our great downtowns again with people. Some of the cities that are able to get some of this new funding that the administration has made available include New York City's transit system, the nation's largest. They garnered $769 million. San Francisco's Bay Area Rapid Transit got $270 million to bolster service. Others receiving grants were WMATA in Washington, D.C., the metro system there at $120 million. And Houston got $137 million. So big news coming out of Washington for some extra funds to shore up transit agencies across the country. Up in Mississauga, Ontario, near where Trapeze headquarters is actually, near Toronto, they're going to be able to advance a series of transit advancements with joint funding provided by the governments of Canada, the federal government, and Ontario, as well as local funding from the city of Mississauga. And uh, they'll be getting more than $677 million in Canadian funding from the government of Canada through the Investing in Canada Infrastructure Program, more than $225 million from Ontario, and $180 million from the city of Mississauga. Prime Minister Trudeau said, these investments will make Mississauga an even better place to live and work by helping Canadians get where they need to be in cleaner, faster, and more affordable ways. He said improving public transit across the country makes our communities healthier, fights climate change while creating good middle-class jobs. The joint funding will help support $12.5 million in transit priority measures for express corridors. And these investments will be applied toward Q-jump lanes at 25 in intersections on Derry, Eglinton, and Dixie Roads. With upgrades to existing bus corridors, the city says it will see a reduction in congestion, passenger wait times and delays, and improvement in the overall experience of transit users. Around $305 million will be applied toward the construction of a new bus rapid transit corridor along Dundas Lane. The Dundas BRT is one of six priority projects the city identified last fall to focus funding. The project plans to extend the BRT along Dundas Lane for 48 kilometers, nearly 30 miles, to create fast, frequent, and reliable transit between Greater Toronto and the Hamilton region. The third project to benefit from the joint funding is the city's bus replacement program, which will see almost $360 million Canadian dollars invested to purchase 358 second-generation hybrid buses to replace existing vehicles in Mississauga's MyWay fleet. The planned bus replacement includes 314 40-foot low-floor transit buses and 44 60-foot low-floor buses. Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie said, this is a big day for Mississauga, and I want to sincerely thank the government of Canada and Ontario for investing in Mississauga, our residents, and our future. Congratulations for big funding coming there. Now stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview with Ms. Norma North. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged News and Views. We're excited to have with us today as our guest, Norma Noor, who is CEO of Express Rail Link. She's won many awards and international accolades. And uh, Norma, thank you for being with us on the show today. Good morning, Paul. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an honor. 
to be here with you today. Norma, tell us a little, tell us where you're from and what you do. I'm based in Kuala Lumpur. Basically, we run the airport link uh, from KL City Centre to the airport, vice versa. And um, uh, this is located, located in Kuala, uh, Kuala Lumpur and uh, Malaysia. And Malaysia is basically one of the Southeast uh, Asian countries. Uh, and we are sandwich between uh, Thailand and, and Singapore. I think it's easier to probably explain where is Malaysia. Yeah. Yes, a lot of people. That's good you did that. Thank you. <laughs> and what you do as CEO of Express Rail Link, tell us what the Express Rail Link does. Okay. This project started back in 1996. Yeah, we, we were incorporated in 1996. And when the government actually decided to move the uh, airport, it was with a capacity of very small. I think what only about twenty five million, and um, and we need a bigger airport because the city was growing, the country was growing very fast. So uh, they moved the airport to uh, a location which is about seventy five kilometer from the city center by car, by road. So uh, it's important to have a dedicated airport link. So that's uh, the, the background of how ERL or Express Leading uh, was, um, was uh, done. Yeah, and it's a dedicated effort link, 57 kilometer uh, length. We have, uh, and this is a dedicated line. So we run two services basically. One is the Express, a uh, non stop service, and the other one is a uh, transit service of 440 kilometers. So it stops at three intermediate stations. It goes from Kuala Lumpur out to the airport? Yes, that's right. And, so, and um, how many people does it take on a regular basis? Okay, prior to the pandemic, um, our ridership runs about uh, 25,000 per day. Uh, but because of the pandemic, as you know, I mean, uh, the situation has dropped really a lot yeah it's a high speed rail how fast does it go the train was designed is the Zeman train uh the one you saw at the back that there's a whole train um uh designed for 176 kilometer per hour but uh we uh it's cruising at 160 kilometer per hour how fast does it normally go 160 kilometer per hour 160 kilometers per hour yeah that's right that's right it's not exactly high speed, uh, as in the, you know, the... Right, because that's like 100 miles per hour for people in the U.S. So that's not super high speed. I mean, I used to run commuter train services to Washington, D.C. that went 113 miles per hour. So, but it could go faster if you wanted it to, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. I think the track is designed for, uh, it is, uh, what you call that, it's a meter, uh, standard gauge. A track so we can buy train that can change the train uh, to higher speed if need be. But I think for for this kind of service is sufficient because it takes about twenty eight minutes to the airport. Twenty eight minutes. Yeah. And if you had to drive that, how long would that take you if you were in a car? Uh, will take about uh, uh an hour or in normal situation maybe, but probably with traffic sometimes it can be longer than that. That's what I thought, like an hour and a half, maybe, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, takes a lot of time off. That's good. And so you're CEO there. 
yeah, on top of that, probably if I can, sorry, if I can just say, we sure. also have check-in facility in the city centre in KL Central. So that is one of the unique uh, feature of uh, airport railing. There's not many airport railing in the world that has this dedicated check-in facility in the city. Yeah, and we have that. And tell us about that. Uh, describe that to us. So basically, uh, previously we have a few airlines that can do check-in in the city center, especially in Malaysia Airlines. We have Malindo, we have KT uh, at one time, and uh, I think uh, and and uh, Royal Brunei at Etihad at one time. Uh, but because of the pandemic, the the, the what do you call that? The services has stopped. But um, there's only uh, like in KLs, KL that have that this check-in facility. I would say the most successful one will be in Hong Kong. Uh, they have uh, a lot of airlines that can do check-in in the city center. So what happens? People check in, and they just drop the bag, uh, and uh, and then they can go and do whatever they want if their flight is later, or can go straight to the airport. So what we do is that we take the bag uh, and and put it on the train. It's in a secured compartment and transport it to the airport. And after that, we um, hand over to the airport authority. So very smooth. Passenger don't have to worry about the baggage at all. So they so if you got on a train in the center of the city of Kuala Lumpur, you would check your bags um, onto the train, and then they would they would also get on the train, and then. They don't have to worry about their bags. You put them, you transfer them to the airline. The airline puts them on and they can just go about their business, do whatever they want. That's very cool. Yeah. The the one in Europe, there's one in uh, Vienna. Wow, uh, Vienna. Okay. Yeah, Vienna. Cat, Cat runs uh, this uh, city center check-in as well uh, in Delhi and uh, also in uh, Bangkok. But Bangkok has stopped too. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, what what a great uh, what a great ease of uh, transition to do that. That's great. Are there any other kind of unique and interesting features of your line that you want to share? Yeah, we also have uh, you know the first mile and the last mile is always um, a problem in any uh, transit system in any rail system. So we also have a similar service uh, offering through a VIP service. So what happened is uh, you book this VIP service online and then we have a dedicated, uh, after the immigration, uh, we have our own counter and we have uh, we display that we have done this. So we have a dedicated uh, representative, VIP representative who actually uh, waited for you with a dedicated uh, porter. So the porter will help you take the bag from the baggage carousel and then uh, bring the bag uh, carry the bag for you. You don't have to carry your bag, and then uh, and then bring you down to the uh, platform and through your uh, train, and he will accompany you, but not sitting together with you. <laughs> um, we have the dedicated uh, compartment for VIP service, and uh, basically um, all the way until KL Central, the city center, and then the the, the porter will help you carry the bag until you. You reach uh, the uh, dedicated uh, sh- chauffeur service actually, you know. Uh, so, we have dedicated service as well for that. 
And then uh, that's a handover to the driver and the driver will take you to your final destination. For example, if you book, you can uh, book to the hotel, to your business destination, or we have also uh, extended the service to homes. So you can book this dedicated VIP service. It's one of the units that we have. Yeah. So, so if I flew into the airport, I would get on the train, it would take me to the end of the line, and then there would be somebody there to take me to my final destination. All right. That's great. Door to door service. Door to door service. Uh, and the charges is not very expensive, actually. I mean, in relation term. Yeah. It's not very expensive. You That's good. Uh, we can travel with more than uh, two, uh, you can travel up to four passengers. We have, because we use a big uh, uh, kind of car, you know, for this yes. service. Yeah. Now, your company um, operates this under contract with the government. Is that how it works? Yes, we are actually a concession holder. In fact, if I can just give a bit of history of yes. the industry in, in, in Malaysia. Back in 1990s, the government wanted to uh, have this connection because I think the country was going very fast. So, it's a lot of congestion in the city. So, the government actually privatized uh, the real project. Four real project was privatized back in the 1990s, and ERL was one of that. We have concession with the government, uh, 30 years with an option to extend for another 30 years. So we have now 60 years uh, contract or concession period with the government. So it allows us to uh, design, finance, and build this on a privatized basis. So that's how it works. You've, you've got time to recoup your investment. Yes, that's yeah. right. So did so you all kind of did the design and the build and now operate for the train, right? Precisely. Yeah. Um, it's just that at the point when uh, then this project was uh, done, uh, it was during the financial crisis. So we have to relook at the whole financing structure and all that. So uh, that was in 1997. Uh, and I was uh, involved in the um, looking at how to make it viable. For me, I think, uh, yeah, basic principle of real business, if you look at the whole model of business, uh, uh, real business, it, it cannot sustain on its own. It cannot uh, be, it's very difficult, difficult to make um, real project sustain on its own. You need some other elements to make it viable. But I strongly believe there's always ways to make any project viable. You just have to find the correct formula. And we did that with the uh, Express Rail Link, uh, ERL. I think there were four privatized projects back in 1990s. Uh, unfortunately, the other three cannot sustain. So the government has taken back the project uh, uh, and run as a government-owned uh, project. Uh, but we still stand uh, strongly as one of the most successful uh, real privatization project in Malaysia. Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. Because could you tell us what is the secret? I mean, what is the what is the way to keep it viable? I mean, you so, were the general manager for finance, so you came on board and really helped them put this whole package together. I think you're in a good position to talk about it. So basically, I think uh, before I joined ERL, I was with Putra LRT. That was the one of the LRT uh, that was um, um, out of the four, you know. So I was there for two years, put in place the financing for them. And after that, I moved to uh, ERL. 
And so basically, I think I realized uh, the model, the the model for the rail project there does not uh, it wasn't suitable to make the project sustainable. But I think at that time the government's intention was just put this project uh, on the you know just continue with the project, make sure it's 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 done because it's faster to do it via privatization, you know, and after that. Uh, they'll think about how to make it uh, work later. So, uh, whereas for us, from the very beginning, we told the government in order to make this project viable, uh, it's important to have certain framework. For example, the original framework that was uh, what they call that proposed to the government was that we uh, construct, we finance the, the project, uh, the infrastructure, and everything. At the end, upon completion. I think the infrastructure we propose to the government to be given back to the government and we only continue with the operation. Because in order to do all this, you have to do huge financing to come up with this. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was 2.4 billion, right? Or something. Correct. At that yeah. time. And it's cheapest actually. Because at 42 million ringgit per kilometer is uh no way that you can do this uh, now. Uh right now, all these projects. Uh, runs in the hundreds of million per kilometer, you know, because of the price increase, because of all this. <clears throat> so basically, um, um, so what happened is uh, for the operating company to stand, uh, to continue to be vibrant, I think it's important for us to just have uh, enough loan to pay and also enough um, revenue to, to support that. So meaning that, you know, in real, we are measured by the fare box ratio. The fare box means the fare revenue over cost, operating cost, has to be at least one. Uh, I was, uh, for ERL, uh, we, <coughs> prior to Pindam handbrake, okay, uh, our fare box used to be about as high as about 1.5 to 1.6. Wow. So, yeah, but, but that's excluding loan repayment. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So it's just the operating costs. Correct, but yes. but it is already uh, meaning that uh, for that kind of uh, project, real project, you're already meeting at least uh, the 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 operating cost is coming from your own revenue. But of course, we have other source of it, of revenue. If you look at, um, uh, I will say the most successful uh, project like this is actually uh, I will say like Hong Kong. The real right. Hong Kong is that yeah, their property is the one who actually support all the real. Yes. So, uh, for it, we have some other income as well that help to support. But uh, what is important is also to make sure that your cost is really optimized. You must really optimize your cost. So, that's the reason why even during the pandemic, uh, we are able to sustain for now. But of course, through uh, the loan, I mean, uh, the bank gave up a loan moratorium, so we could survive. But at the same time, what we have done is that <clears throat> even uh, we have uh, so-called uh, optimized our cost, but uh, during this pandemic, we look at again how much can we do to optimize it further uh, in the sense that instead of running two dedicated service, we used to run about 237 uh, trips per day. So during pandemic, the, the, the demand has gone very low. 
during the full lockdown and all that, nobody travels. Right. So the number of uh, ridership dropped to even below 1,000. I mean, from the 25,000 per day. So uh, in that situation, we actually combined the service. Uh, dedicated and the express, KLA Express yes. and KLA Express, yes. we combine the service. In Surabaya, we run only one um, that stops at every station and right. close uh, the departure for express and uh, uh, departure and arrival. So we save a lot of electricity. We and and we reduce the service to only about between three six trips to seventy seven trips per day, depending on the demand. So we really look at the demand supply level to reduce the because one of the biggest costs for real is actually traction power electricity cost. Yes. So that so we reduce a lot of we uh, save a lot on this, and the government because we are very much bound by this concession uh, with the government. You know, uh, we the government was very kind to allow us to suspend the service during uh, the full lockdown period. Okay. I mean. Uh, I think we get a lot of uh, assistance from the government and especially from the bank in Malaysia to help us to sustain during this, this pandemic period. Yes, and I mean a couple of things that you didn't mention that I'd like to make sure people know is that you have a ninety-nine point seven on-time performance ratio. I mean that's phenomenal, and you've carried more than ninety million passengers. You were named the Air Rail Link of the Year at the Global Air Rail Awards for multiple years. Uh, you've uh, been given the best operator award for rail in multiple years. You just have a very high standard of customer experience, innovation, partnerships, and you remain sustainable. You run a sustainable service there. It's one of one of the premier, I think, uh, higher speed rail lines in the world. Congratulations, Norma. You've uh, you've done a great job there. You know, making it go, keeping it going when other of the services fell aside, as you mentioned, the other three vendors, and yours has continued. And you run really without any government subsidy, right? I mean, you make it. Your your operating costs are made by the fare box, right? And your and your other revenues. Yes, and uh, there was a structure that was put in place from the very beginning with the government. That's how we make it very viable. You know, yes. there was other kind of indirect assistance that we get, but not really a government guarantee or any direct subsidy. Yes, that's amazing. So, Yeah, and I think uh, it's because I, I, we have a very great. I will say that we have a great team in ERL, and we have great team in uh, Imas is our uh, operation maintenance company, who supports us uh, to do the operation and maintenance of the train. So these two companies are separated. So we have very clear function, who make sure the train runs uh, very well. That is the Imas. I, I must say that that. Uh, 99.7% excellent performance is actually because we have a great team in in uh, our operating company. Yes. Superintendent company, Imas. Yeah. So the credit goes to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations to, to all of you for the great work you're doing there. And we, we wish you much success as you continue to innovate and show the rest of the world how it can be done. Hi. I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. Almost every transit organization I hear from these days is struggling to hire. From operators to trades to administrative staff, the market is tight, competition is fierce, and the pressure is on to promote recruitment hard. 
But casting a broad net by promoting we're hiring over and over on every promotional channel you can get your hands on has some quite negative implications, including overwhelming your human resources staff with more applications than they can handle and bringing in applicants who don't make it through the hiring or training process because they're not qualified. Here are a couple of ways to fine-tune your recruitment promotions to get the right employees. Step one is about strong internal communications. You should always consult with an HR staffer when you're planning and pushing out recruitment promotions. They can advise you on exactly how to phrase the roles and duties your organization needs to fill. They also provide feedback on how many applications they're getting so that you can do the step two I'm recommending, which is to pulse your promotions based on the rate of applications. That means placing ad buys and pushing out promotions you can pause and turn back on as needed. This is especially important for roles that need a long lead time to onboard, like trades roles with lengthy training timelines. If you'd like to talk more about recruitment promotions or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Hi, this is Mike Bismarck, Regional Sales Director for Terra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about leadership, mentorship, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Well, congratulations to Paul and the Trapeze Vontas team for Transit Unplugged being named as one of the top 200 podcasts in the world. As the two-year mark approaches this month, since Paul first invited me to contribute, I just wanted to say it has truly been an honor to partake and listen and meet many of the top executives that have contributed and appeared on this podcast. Often when I talk about mentorship and leadership in our industry, I mention that the amazing talent, the resources, and the opportunities are out there to learn from our peers at the many industry conferences, trade shows, roundtables, and panels. Well, I would like to thank Paul for bringing that all here. One does not have to go far to realize the wealth of information, the industry hot topics, and the many leaders that share right here, no doubt the reason for the global recognition. As we come out of the most recent wave of the pandemic, I think about the challenges the pandemic has posed for our industry, the remarkable ability for our industry to pivot and adapt, and all those ideas and leaders and their relevant information being shared right here on Transit Unplugged. It has also been a challenging time in many other ways for our essential frontline workers, families, and loved ones, which is why being able to bring a reminder of kindness when I contribute has meant so much. Thanks, Paul, and to all the listeners, thank you for the continued support. As always, thanks for listening and keeping kindness cool. Thanks so much for being with us today on the Transit Unplugged podcast. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed that interview with Norma Noor and the insights from Mike and Alea, uh, as well as our news information up front. And now we take a look at the future of public transportation, what's happening right around the corner. One of the great things happening in our industry right now is that uh, public transportation riders are getting back on the bus, getting back on the train. Capital funds are being spent. It seems like the industry has really started back up after we took really a gut punch, as you know, uh, during the COVID pandemic. And people are starting to think about things other than just ridership as well as the only indicators of success for our agencies. They're looking at policy changes, such as adding equity inclusion into cities and into transit systems and using transit to do that, as well as things like environmental stewardship. All that is being considered now as as they work toward kind of reorienting themselves in this new way. I was able to talk to many public transportation leaders in Florida while I visited last week, including Nat Ford at Jacksonville 
Transportation Authority. And what a great leader. It's always a pleasure to talk with Nat. I was able to meet with him in his office as well as go out to their test and learn facility where they are. We're going to show you in action uh, these vehicles, these autonomous vehicles that they're testing. And I even do some fun things with them, like walk right in front of them when they're going by. I think you'll get a kick out of it. This Transit Unplugged TV show is turning into a real fun part of what we do here. You know, the podcast is now heard in 100 countries, as mentioned, and is ranked in one of the top podcasts in the world now. But when you watch it on video and you get to see, we show you different things and, and talk to different people than just what you're hearing on the audio podcast. I really encourage you to check it out if you haven't yet. Just go to YouTube. Go right onto YouTube and type in Transit Unplugged TV. Three words, Transit Unplugged, then the letters T and the letter V. And you'll go to our Transit Unplugged uh, channel on YouTube. And you can watch two of the episodes we already have up there. The first one in Las Vegas, the second one from Nashville. The third episode is dropping this Friday, March 11th. And it's going to feature the filming that we did at uh, the APTA Expo, uh, including uh, a long segments from the Five of the Most Powerful Women in Transit live CEO roundtable we did. You're not going to want to miss that. I mean, it was just impactful. Uh, people literally had tears in their eyes. It was that moving. You're going to want to hear it uh, for yourself and see it for yourself, as well as interviews with other transit technology leaders. These shows are only about a half hour in length, uh, but they really are professional, you know, some of the best professional now uh, on our third episode going forward with you know dedicated filming resources and audio. I think you'll really enjoy it. Our April episode will come from my visit to Dubai. And then after that, we'll show you some of Brightline Trains and Palm Train, as well as JTA and the Palm Beach Transportation Planning Agency with Valerie Nielsen and so many other leaders that we were able to talk to this last week in Florida. Check it out now, right as soon as this podcast is done. Go to YouTube, click in Transit Unplugged TV and see it for yourself. Again, this Friday will be our brand new episode uh, from featuring five of the most powerful women in transit. Speaking of powerful women and men in transit, we're going to bring you a lot of them at this year's Think Transit 2022 conference. It's going to be held at the uh, Omni Fort Worth, Texas from March 20th through the 23rd. If you haven't registered to attend, I believe there's still time to do so if you act right away. Just Google Think Transit 2022. Think Transit is all one word and you can register. We have an executive summit going on for senior executives in the industry. And then on the main stage on Tuesday, March 22nd from 1230 to 1:30, we're going to host another live CEO roundtable. And I've got news for you. I've got a fifth and brand new member of the uh, all-star panel. And that is Alex Wiggins. Alex Wiggins is CEO of the New Orleans Regional Transit Authority and a good friend of mine has been on the show before. Alex will be now joining us along with Holly Arnold, administrator and CEO of my former agency, MDOT's Maryland Transit Administration. So excited that Holly can make it. She recently was promoted uh, permanently to the job after our friend Kevin Quinn went to TransLink. And Holly's going to bring you what she's doing at MTA in Baltimore. Tom Egan will also be there. My pal from MV Transportation, he's CEO there, based in Dallas, Texas. We're excited to have him on the panel as well as MJ Maynard, CEO of RTC in Southern Nevada in Las Vegas. MJ's got so many exciting things happening. You're going to want to see her live as well. And Randy Clark, CEO of Cap Metro in Austin, Texas. That's the transit agency for the capital city of Texas. Randy's city just recently passed a $7 billion referendum to adding that extra money to transit. They've got so many exciting things happening there. I can't wait for you to hear it. In addition, Randy, to being on the CEO panel will also be speaking afterwards in his own session 
giving you more in-depth of what's happening there. So uh, looking forward to seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of you at the Think Transit 2022 conference coming up now in just a week or two at the Omni Fort Worth, Texas. And finally, talking about speaking from the main stage, I'm excited to be on the main stage coming up this next week on Wednesday, March 16th. I'll be speaking at Smart Transit East in Boston, Massachusetts. At 9, 10 a.m., I'll be speaking on the future of public transportation. And I'm going to add in some of the things I learned from my recent trip to Dubai. I was very impressed with the work they're doing there and how they integrate taxi cabs as last mile solution, et cetera. Uh, and they integrate it right into the overall public transit network with their vehicles, you know, being dispatched from the operations control center of the agency. A different approach and uh, very, uh, I think, applicable that other transit agencies around the world can learn from that. So I'm excited to speak to you about that. And then afterwards, after my speaking at 11 a.m. that day, I'll be signing and giving away some of my books. Thanks to Vontas, who's sponsoring it. I'll be giving away copies of my first number one bestseller, The Future of Public Transportation, and my second one, the children's picture book uh, called Public Transportation from the Tom Thumb Railroad to Hyperloop and Beyond. Make sure you come by and see me. I'll be standing on the trade show floor there, um, signing books at 11 a.m. that day. Thank you so much for being with us on this episode of Transit Unplugged, where each week on Wednesdays, we bring you a fresh look at what's happening in public transportation around the world and talk to the newsmakers who are making things happen for our industry. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for being with us. Remember to tune into Transit Unplugged TV this Friday, March 11th on YouTube. Take care. I'll see you on the road. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged News and Views with our guest, Norma Noor of Express Rail Link in Malaysia. Next week, as our guest, we will have Mohammed Salim al Ghafri from Oman. Paul recorded this interview when he was at the UITP MENA Expo in Dubai, and we get to learn about another fantastic Middle East transit system. Of course, in a couple weeks, Paul and I will both be at Think Transit, beautiful Fort Worth, Texas. Hope to see you all there. Come up and say hi. We'll be wandering around doing some interviews and things. If you have a comment, question, or would like to be a guest on Transit Unplugged, feel free to email us anytime at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, ride safe and ride happy.